get fired up. Oh yeah! Performance, Performance enhancing, enhancing audio. audio. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Wow, the new theme song rocking out, jam band style, but it's still the same old State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy BC MMA today with the one and only, the Hall of Famer, a pillar to his society. He makes gun signs with the right hand and animal balloons with the left hand. Yes, he's a credit to his community. It's the Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans. My man, how is it? Oh man, it is good. Hey, listen, not as good for you, not as good for me as it is for you. We have nice theme music now. Okay, I like it. Okay. Hey, every every hero needs his theme music, and I guess you got yours now. There it is, right there. Uh, it, never never a bad idea to, to switch it up, freshen it up a little bit. Um, Rashad, we are fresh off in this MMA world. Eight crazy nights, right? I don't mean to get uh, you know, I don't I don't know what faith you you practice, but these are eight <laughs> crazy nights we just endured. Um. And enjoyed. Instead of one of presents, we get eight And three fight cards. And MMA was back. And I'm here to be excited and celebrate that with you. Only now we got a week off. It's like, what do we do now? You know what I mean? I feel like we're going to get fights from this day forward till the end of the year. They're going to pack them in, MMA, boxing, whatever else. But um, how are you feeling after kind of, you know, getting back on that horse a little bit the last week? Man, I'm feeling good. That felt that felt amazing, you know, and I felt as if like uh, it, everyone was thirsty for it. And those fighters went out there and they performed, uh, you know, beyond what was expected of them. And it just goes to show, you know, how much that fight meant to them and uh, the support that rallied around the fight and Dana White putting it all together and the UFC being able to take that whole crew that they have and just show how amazing they are by being able to throw three shows and then implement all the new practices that goes along with having these events. It, it, it was impressive. Yeah. I, I, and just like, it was obviously great to get back in the groove for us who are employed in this business. It was great to be doing what you're supposed to do. I think it was great for everybody who's missing live sports. But on top of that, the cards also kicked a ton of ass. I mean, you know, Saturday, we're going to be specifically this week breaking down, of course, Saturday night's fight night card, UFC Jacksonville 3, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, just that card alone, I feel like every performance, you know, gave you something to talk about was an, was an elevation of the one before it. Man, the fighters dug in, short training camp, weird training camp or not. They dug in and sort of like – it was like an unspoken thing where everybody got together and said, not only we're we going to bring these fights back, not only are we going to help open the doors for all of sports to come back, but oh, by the way, we're going to bring it in the cage. I guess maybe the, the craziness was fuel for them. It, it really was. And it was almost like they, um, they made a pact. You know, it was like, you know what, we can go out there and fight as hard as we can. And there's no losers in this. And you kind of seen that with, with, with a lot of those fights, you know, I'm thinking about the cowboy and the Anthony Pettis fight, you know, that was an amazing fight. And, there was a winner, but there really was no loser in that fight. And that's, and that was the, the gift that, you know, a lot of these fighters, they gave the fans, you know, it was, it was impressive, man. And hats off to Dana White once again, to be able to just stick with what he believed in and make it so that we got live fights and we were the first ones to lead the, uh, lead the charge in that. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, 
then the corona's going to get oh, no, 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 no. All right? It no, is no, what no. it is. No, no, Dan. No. <laughs> Danny, you did well. You did well. <laughs> you did well. Boxing is going to follow you. You hear Eddie Hearn is trying to put in fights on in the backyard of his mansion. Bob Arum is looking at June 9th as a comeback date in Vegas for that. Uh, Bellator making plans. They're looking at maybe late June, early July. So you, you're going to see everybody following. We've seen... Arizona open up the doors, New York threatening to open up the doors to pro sports. So kind of like we predicted, if UFC could do this correctly, and for the large part, a couple little hiccups, but the large part they did, um, we're back. And that's great to see. Um, you know, one of the headlines we're going to talk about, of course, is what's next for UFC on the schedule. And I think, you know, once the state of Nevada, Rashad, finally, you know, awakens and says, there is a safe way we can do this. It seems like that's the safest thing you could do for the UFC yeah. is let them stay home, right? Not take this traveling thing on the road. Let them stay home, fly in the fighters, stay in the PI, get your test, and you're good, right? I right? mean, you you would think so. I mean, being the fact that, you know, Vegas is the other state like Florida where they're, 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 they have the same tax situation. So, you know, you, you would want to think that they keep that money there. It just seems uh, really weird that, you know, they were one of the ones who uh, – kind of led the charge of letting everyone back and opening up conceals and everything. But then at the same time, not leading the charge when it comes to athletics, it just kind of seemed like there's a disconnect there in the politics. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm still shocked. I'm still shocked by two major things in this quarantine. One, that the state of Nevada in Las Vegas particularly decided to somehow be the moral voice in the whole, this whole conversation <laughs> of, nope, sorry, we're shutting down. And two, that the sport of boxing even took a break, Rashad. I've been in boxing a long time. It's a dirty sport. I'm shocked that they were like, go ahead, UFC. You guys be the first. We'll just wait back and wait. But that's Dana White. That's how he got this far. Um, give me a South Florida quarantine update. We're all living the same but different quarantine lives, whether you live in an urban community, whether you live more spread out in the suburbs, your, your, your quarantine life is probably different. But uh, South Florida seems to be opening up. How have you adjusted to this? Um, it's, it's, it's been going pretty good. You know, still got to get used to uh, a lot of the rules and regulations and, and knowing, you know, when to cover and, and things like that. But for the most part, people are getting out and they're, uh, you know, they're being social, they're being active. And that's what I was really worried about, you know, on the heels of this whole thing. How are people going to interact with each other? And I feel as if, you know, people are starting to interact with each other and, um, you know, in, in, in a safe way. And, um, you know, life is starting to return back and the energy is starting to return back to South Florida. All right, put it put it on me, right? I want you to put it on. I want you to try to do your best to put on me. That's what I'm talking about it because that's how I get down. All right, we're gonna take a quick pause for the cause. On the other end, we got all your latest news this week and the news cycle. John Jones, Francis Ngannou, could it be a breakdown of UFC Jacksonville three and more? That Conor McGregor guy still lingering in the background as always. <laughs> we'll get to that and more after this break. Yeah, and we're back. It's BC. It's Sugar Rashad Evans and um, Hall of Fame, sir. You and I jumped on CBS Sports HQ this weekend right after that fine bit of, of entertainment UFC provided in Jacksonville with the fight night card. Obviously, the heavyweight main event was the big story. Could Walt Harris, uh, you know, find some happiness in this crazy journey of losing his stepdaughter while also simultaneously making a pretty serious leap up in the heavyweight standings in terms of title picture if he could get past the trusted old guard veteran that was Alistair Overeem. Uh, what a wild fight in the end. Overeem via second-round stoppage. But, Rashad, tell me if I'm wrong. 
our guy Walt Harris, who, you know, credit to him and his family, how could you not cheer for him? I mean, he was as close as it seemed you could get to forcing referee Dan Marigliotta to jump in, maybe one clean strike or one, uh, you know, flurry of shots, and it just didn't happen. He slips up on a wild front kick attempt, and it was all downhill from there. Uh, I mean, I don't want to make this the way he lost this bigger than the larger picture of what's going on in his life. That's a bitter loss, man, to have it go down that way. It really was. And it was hard, uh, you know, to watch, you know, because you, I, I love, I love Alice over him. You know, I've known him for years and old training partner of mine. So I, I pull from him, you know, I pull for him uh, a lot of times when he fights. So it, it was kind of weird to, to be pulling for Walt. And, um, you know, I, I just felt as if like, there was so much emotional pressure on Walt, you know, that he put on himself. But, you know, when you get into a fight, there's so much emotion in general in, in general anyways, you know? So when you had mixed those emotions, it just becomes a big mess. And it looked as if like he was handling it pretty well. And as if like, you know, things were going to uh, work out for him, but he, he wasn't able to handle the upswing, the swings of the fight. And sometimes when you're too emotionally charged, handling um, a swing of the fight, maybe too much, you know, when Alistair started to rally, it may have broke his mentality and, and may have put him in a negative state, like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm losing in, and, and whatever the thoughts may that happened from there. But for the most part, that mental pressure is a beast, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody going to the cage fighting him. Because I was going to ask you whether you <laughs> that sudden fatigue drop, the stamina drop that led to the finish, um, certainly we credit over him who, I mean, like how many years, like Arlovsky on a, on a – smaller level but like Andre Olavsky how many times do we say nah it's over for over him the the chin at the elite level just isn't there well he he got bloodied up and, and got exploded on and, and adjusted so well so he did the veteran things like taking Walt Harris down after he slipped yeah leaning on him pushing on the gas tank we certainly saw that and believe that but how much of that stamina dump was mental do you think in the end for some of those things that you just said I think a lot of it was mental, to be honest. You know, you can kind of see that the way he was breathing after the first round, you know, um, and even partly through the first round, you just kind of see him, you know, uh, breathing a little heavy. And, you know, they're big boys and they're throwing some heavy punches, so you got to give that in, in, in respect. But at the same time, you know, um, when I fought John Jones, that was one of the fights where I came into that fight so emotional, and he came into that fight emotional. And I remember when we first exchanged, our first exchange, we both, like, fell over in a very clumsy way. Just, it was like an emotional exhaustion that we both have and we just hit each other and it felt like a weird moment and we both recognized it in a weird way. And I think that's what, uh, what was feeling just that emotional dump and that emotional dump is, is, is harder and heavier than an adrenaline dump because with an adrenaline dump, your, your body, uh, it seemed like it adjusts different than it does when it's like an emotional dump. It's crazy because the, the same emotions, you know, that we thought might fuel him. And it seemed in the first two minutes of the fight, it was fueling him. He, look, he looked like the big ticket. He looked like the next heavyweight in line for that minute and a half, two minutes when he's hurting uh, over him. But uh, the same emotion seemed to turn against him there. Separating the, the story. Um, and look, I, I do want to sort of take a mea culpa. I, I said publicly on different podcasts and stuff, you know, he could have had this happy ending and it was ruined, this fairy tale ending. And people reminded me, uh, What's the fairy tale here? He lost his, you know, he lost his stepdaughter. Right. Like, like that's much bigger than any kind of win against. Ale and I, I respect that and, and appreciate that. 
But so, um, you know, I credit him and his family. I credit over him for being a gentleman afterwards saying, let's train together, offering him up. But if we yeah. can take the emotional story away from it and just focus on what this fight meant for the division, did this tell us what we needed to know about Walt Harris at this point? Not saying his career is over, not saying he's never going to get to the title level, but at 36, five fight unbeaten streak coming in, we wanted to know, is he for real? Did this humble us to know that there's still work to do? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, there there is a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, with, with Alistair Overeem, you know, we, we forget that what, what he did to Rosenstruck, you know, four minutes and 50 seconds, uh, uh, I mean, five rounds and four minutes, 50 seconds of that fight. And and what he did what was crafty, it was smart, and it, and it just shows that he's head and shoulders above a lot of the rest of the guys in the competition when it comes to just the cerebral mindset to uh, fighting. So – um, there is levels that Walt needs to hit. And, and Alistair Overeem is a good marker for that. Uh, that the grappling aspect is something that he's going to have to um, definitely work on if he wants to compete at, at the higher, higher echelon. But I, I think for Walt, I think it's something that he, uh, he can do very easily because I, I, I see the mistakes that he made in that fight. And they weren't, they weren't huge. They weren't huge mistakes. They were just some positional mistakes. And that could be you know due to the fact that you know, he was emotionally uh, fatigued and just physically fatigued. And the fact that you have Alistair Overeem, who is so talented with his grappling that it gets almost unrecognized. You know, that, that inside arm lace that he did, that is so hard to get out of and it drains the energy out of you. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the, the credit we give over him. He turned 40 in you know, about an hour after the victory. Oh, sorry, a couple minutes after the victory. And uh, he's a man. Come after him. He's 40, that for sure. Uh, what does this do? I mean, look, in the, the thing about the heavyweight division, we always say it because it's true. Age doesn't seem to matter. I mean, look at Cormier and, Mio, and Miocic right now are both, you know, right. 37 and 41, whatever. Um it would, I would guess it would be unlikely to see Overeem get back to the title level, but re- is it really that unlikely? No, it, it really, it really, it, away? it's not really unlikely. And I'll tell you why, BC, because I honestly believe that he should be the next matchup for Francis Ngannou, provided that something doesn't happen with the whole uh, John Jones situation. Get that man killed. I mean, seriously, did you see their first fight? I mean, did you see that left uppercut from hell? I know, I know, I know, I know. But that's but that but that goes to show where where Alistair Orim is at. You know, he, he's he's pretty much. Um, I mean, under underneath underneath Fran underneath uh, Francis. I would say he is the, he's the guy. You know, he, he's he's been he's been chucking along at a pretty at a pretty good pace and beating these guys, beating these up and coming guys, and challenging these up and coming guys. I think I don't, I don't know, man. I, I think Alistair, um, he he can be in there. I, I do think so, man. I think what the, here's the here was my problem in not maybe giving Overeem the respect he deserved. Once he stopped being the Overeem from Strike Force and Dream and, and you know from Pride and from those days. And he came into UFC, destroyed Brock Lesnar. He seemed to still be that guy. But then he was, you know, taking those losses against the Bigfoot Silvas and guys like that where he was leading in the fight, looking great. And then he sort of just gassed or got caught and gave it away. And I know some people say maybe the PED testing and the prior organizations wasn't the same it is in the USADA era. But with that said, once he stopped being the monster, I was just like, okay, well, it's done. You know, he's in the second half of his career. He's done. He's a name now. Well, I I have to be reminded that – he almost beat Stipe. Like, out, even right. outside of the joke about Stipe tapped, he rocked Stipe and was he on did. top of him. And, 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 you know, he could have been your heavyweight champion right there. So, um, 
I can do nothing but sit here and applaud him for being and, able to take experience. He's not the same guy from Pride who's going to knee your face off, right? right. Destroyed Liddell. But he's more skilled than, right. than most of the guys in that top 10, or if not all of them, to be really honest with you, short of maybe Cormier. I mean, that, that, that can last a long time. It really can. And, and you mentioned his fighting style change. And it had to because, like, before he was a very striker-dominant game, you know, and, and he had such an edge on fighters where he would just destroy them with a striker, and that's all he needed to use. But once the, 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 level, the playing field leveled out, he started getting caught a lot and getting knocked out a lot. So then he lost the advantage with the striking, and then he lost confidence in the striking, and then you didn't see him strike the same. But when he started to use more of his well-rounded game, using his great clinch, using his ability to grapple and, and, and just even lean on the people on the cage, you know, that's when he started to be able to put his striking around it and start to compete with some of these guys who, who he should have been getting knocked out by. That's a good point. Um, it's, uh, you know, when he was run- – so as good as he looked against Stipe at times, remember he was also circling away and almost yeah. running. And you're just like – that was – you know, maybe that was a confidence issue period for him despite getting to the title level at that point and almost, you know, upsetting the champion. But uh, mentally he looks back, and that's great to see. So there's certainly still life for a guy who's had an insanely legendary career, a big win. Uh, talk to me this about Matchup Monday here, okay? It's not even Monday, but you get what I'm saying. Um, we're going to talk John Jones and Ngannou next. That's going to be one of our big topics. And, and it could, for all we know, it could be Ngannou, Stipe. Now. Like, you know, we'll see what right. you're going to do there. What about Alistair and Derek Lewis? Love or hate that? Right. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think both of those guys are put on. I think Alistair would make uh, Derek Lewis fight um, a little bit harder than he, he normally does. Because sometimes Lewis can go into a shell. But I think with somebody like Alistair, I think it, it'll bring him out. All the training and all the sex I've been getting. Yeah, my body needs some time off. Yeah, well, hopefully he's, he's getting that time off now. You know, we know his balls get hot indeed. Um, <laughs> we got to run through this card because it, it really created a, a ton of conversation. A lot of it, though, due to the judging. So I want to have this debate here, Rashad. We had three very close fights. Split decision yeah. wins for Claudia Godella and Dan Ige. And a unanimous decision win for Song Yudong in which all three seemed to sort of rightfully produce those who felt the the loser should have won and some who have made it a larger discussion about the obvious problem we seem to have in MMA scoring using a, a boxing scoring system for MMA, which is a long run conversation, but just the idea that the judges got it wrong, that there was something in the water in Jacksonville on Saturday. Now, personally, I didn't think they did in, in all three fights. They had the guy that I thought won, but it brings up a larger debate within this fact. Using the MMA, boxing scoring in MMA, meaning the 10-9 must system, it doesn't really work. We know that. MMA rounds are five minutes. There's more time for ebbs and flows and things to happen. But I still feel like these three fights were victimized by the idea that everyone sitting at home with a beer isn't an expert and isn't always scoring it round by round. They score it on a visual whole. So when you watch Claudia and Angela Hill, and by the way, Angela Hill – was the better fighter on this night. But it doesn't always mean you won the fight because you're scoring round by round. So unless you're giving Angela Hill a 10-8 second round in which she dropped Claudia, or unless specifically you thought she won two of the three rounds, it may be easy to sit there at home and go, oh, well, Angela landed the bigger damage. She had to have won. When people need to realize, again, it's round by round. And in the third round, I thought Claudia rallied enough. Some people disagreed. 
But where do you sit on that divide? Yes, we score damage in MMA. Yes, damage wins out. But you don't score damage as a whole. And I think people still don't get that. Like, you score it round by round. So unless you're giving somebody a 10-8, it's still a math equation in the end. Claudia didn't look great by any means, but I thought she did just enough. Where did you stand on those? Well, yeah, those, those decisions were very close. Um, I, I went the other way on the Angela Hill and, and, and Goodell fight. But, but that's the thing about it. And, and I don't mind the fact that I went the other way. And I don't mind the fact that on a split decision, I thought something and somebody else thought the judge thought another thing because that's, that, that's, what, that's, that's what can happen when there's a split decision, you know? And, and it's not the fact it's, – it's, it's a testament to how good the fight was. And, and there's going to be close fights where there are split decisions. Now, every single time there's a split decision and it goes to one person versus the other one, you can't always cry corruption. You know, you can't always cry bad decision. It's just sometimes there, there's going to be a, a divide on what the consensus feel on a split decision. And that's okay. You know, that, that, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the fighter's job to, to prove unequivocally without a doubt who won that fight. And, and if it comes to the point where it's that close and it's a split decision, then it is what it is on either side. And I, I get the argument for both sides, but at the end of the day, it's the game we play. It is. And, and there's a far big difference between disputed and robbery slash controversial, right? Right, that, right. There, there's, a, there's a big difference in that, yes. yes. Robbery way too much. Robbery is when somebody seemed to have won three rounds to zero and they lose – three rounds you know that's a robbery whatever right. um, but uh look here's the deal claudia i don't know what happened rashad she's been in such amazing shape i know she had some heartbreak in terms of uh her last two fights falling apart she had wanted to showcase this new mark henry striking style and round out her game i don't want to diminish from what angela hill did because she took the reins of this fight and made it her own even though i thought she got edged out on the scorecards again she was the better fighter she had the more dominant periods of when she was in control. I feel like this is almost one of those wins. that's a loss for Claudia because she didn't really look great shape. The explosiveness wasn't there. The gas tank wasn't there. I'm certainly willing to give her a pass given the quarantine and, 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 you know, not everybody responds well to a weird training camp, but um, this was almost a lateral to a back step in some way. Yeah. I, um, I, I didn't see the improvements, uh, that, that you expect from having those two camps. But, you know, at, at the same time, I felt as if like, uh, you know, Angela, Angela Hill provided a lot of problems. And, 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 and when you're looking at Claudia's game, you have to, you have to respect the fact that Angela's not the same person. You know, she's, she's not the same, same woman who left the UFC after the ultimate fighter show. She came back reinventing, reinventing, you know what I mean? She came back ready, right? She came back on point. Uh, and um, with, with that, she, she's gotten better with her, co- her coaching and she's taking that to the next level. So, so she, she's a lot different when it comes to, you know, she, she's on another level. Now you take Angela, I mean, you take uh, Claudia and Claudia is, you know, she's, she's getting a new system and she's learned the Marcus Henry system pretty good, but you know, she still looked very truculent to me. You know, her punches didn't have that snap. She looked, she looked kind of slow, and um, it, it didn't look like her. She had the confidence in her stand-up moving forward like she used to have. I agree with that. Um, how much do you think of Angela Hill's, um, you know, evolution here? I mean, it's rare to do this at her age, right? She's at 33. It's rare, rare to have a kind of figure out 
you know, in the smaller weight classes, exactly who you are and make this run. That's been great Four really strong performances in a row. How much is that tied into activity? Because she, this was her seventh fight in 14 months. The only one who has ever had more fights in a shorter amount of time is Cowboy Cerrone. And it was by like two weeks, the difference between yeah. that. Um, not everybody could or should fight seven times in 14 months, but what does that do to you? If you can, can stay that consistent. Well, what it does, it unmasks that beast that sometimes fighting becomes in a fighter's mind. You know, sometimes when, you know, you, you do fighting and you get some success with it and you, you start to be afraid to lose and you start to be afraid to compete, you know what I'm saying? And then pretty soon fighting has become a phantom that, that is bigger than, 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 than what it was for you before. But I think Angela, by fighting and just, you know, learning how to deal with that moment, learning how to deal with short notices fight and learning how to deal with uh, an opponent that she had little time to uh, do preparation for, allowed her to learn how to uh, make mo- make adjustments in the fights. And now when she's out there and she's fighting someone in the level of Claudia Gadelia, okay, she can lose the first round and then make adjustments to the second round and come out and look good like you've seen her do. Because she's she has that experience of, going in there with somebody she doesn't know and then taking that lump in the beginning and then figuring them out and then getting back after it. That's what fighting short notice can do. And that's what she's proven. Yeah. Claudia does get the win. Like we mentioned, she, uh, she said in the interview, look, I want Carla Esparza again. They had fought to a very close split decision uh, over the, I think about a year and a half ago. And it was funny. Then Claudia, then I'm sorry. Then, uh, uh, Esparza responded on Twitter, made mention to uh, Claudia greasing up too much in their first fight and Claudia telling her to shut the F up back at her. But um, that's certainly a match I don't hate. I just don't think Claudia is there yet to like go above that, to start getting the Yoana the trilogy, to start getting back in that title picture, rematching Andrade, which by the way would be a hell of a fight. Um, I hope Claudia does because there's some great matchups to make. I mean, her and Rosanama Yunus, for example, would be an incredible style matchup. But um, I hope this is also a lift to Angela Hill. And I hope, you know, the, it's a continued evolution of the idea that losses don't kill you that you can grow from them. And I think a big problem with that is always been the boxing side of it. And sometimes I add to that problem as a boxing guy without realizing it. We put so much stock in this padded, built-up, unbeaten record that once, you know, a prospect gets a first loss, well, he's done, he's done. And sometimes that permeates into MMA. And I even want to take an L on, um, when we, when we, we're cautious of Tony Ferguson taking the Justin Gaethje fight. We were cautious because he had a 12-fight win streak. He had Habib already signed up even though it fell apart a bunch of times and it was the idea of you're 36 your window's closing now or never you take this justin fight and you lose you're done in this deep division i heard eddie bravo though on that joe rogan uh fight companion podcast eddie's his um tony's uh grappling coach uh jujitsu coach and uh you know he made something really poignant he's like i already talked to tony the other day Tony is already looking at this loss like the best thing that happened to his career. He's ready to come back right away. He's already training. He was dancing in the hospital, and he framed it like this. I broke the quarantine in the first card. I headlined it. I made a crap load of money. I was in a fun-ass brawl in which you know I showed a lot of good things, and oh, by the way, I'll be back in a big fight real soon, and it did wake me up. It's like, He's not going to like the back of the line. Right. You know, Tony Ferguson could, for all we know, be one big win away from getting right back into a interim title level fight, a BMF title fight or whatever. I mean, I mean, you know, so it's like, it's, yeah, we got to We got to realize that 
He took a chance. He switched yeah. camps. He was preparing for Habib, and he was the company guy at the last minute said, no, I'll fight Gaethje. He'll get rewarded for that. The guy's not going anywhere, is what I'm saying. He's not. And honestly speaking, that may be even a matchup for uh, Conor McGregor. Maybe that might be something that – that will be fun, right? That will be fun. Tony, Tony Ferguson, Conor McGregor. I mean, and, I would love know, to see that. I'm not even that afraid for Tony's age because I, I look back on that fight, and, and certainly we can say – shouldn't have cut weight two weeks early to, to prove a point. Maybe shouldn't have accepted the fight. You can say all those things on top of it. Right. But Tony, and maybe you can say, shouldn't have taken so much punishment, right? Like maybe the corner should have thrown it, whatever. Right. You, could, you could argue all that. Yet Tony showed a gas tank in that fight, Rashad, that I don't think I've ever seen. And what I mean by that is he got hurt so many times, yet was like instantly recovered and right back into pushing the pace that, 36 the age is a number like he's not dead yeah. he's not uh, you know he's still super elite now you you fear if he's going to take damage like that you know too often but that guy's a different breed Rashad. and i just wanted he, to give him that moment and shout him out no he is though i mean but you, you talk about his age he is uh older but at the same time you have to realize he's he he took so much time off his body wasn't taking so much damage so you know, you have to, you know, that, that that's what makes you get old when you take the damage on top of it. You know, his chronological age is one thing, but the actual abuse on his body is another. Yeah, good point. Indeed. Uh, quickly up and down this card, the featherweight battle, Dan Ige, Edson Barbosa, split decision. It gave another debate about the scoring and shout out to Edson Barbosa because, you know, he stayed in that fight. I thought his gas tank was compromised a bit by the weight cut. But he showed toughness. He knocked Ige down in the first round. He landed arguably the biggest damage in terms of singular moments. But Rashad, the reason why I was happy with Ige getting the win is I thought he was the guy pressing the pace more at the end of round two, throughout round three, which round three was a close round. And when he got that big sort of takedown, like I felt that he had really bounced back from, from some legit issues in that first round. And when he hit that flying knee, that was like, I'm in this fight, okay? I know you're the bigger badass coming down and wait. I'm in this fight. For me, the, what, the guy who wins the most on this card is Dan Ige. He, six wins in a row. He just made the leap into legit top five, seven title contention in my mind from this win. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've known Dan Ige when he was fighting in little shows that nobody knows and uh, working with Ali in Vegas as, uh, you know, his errand boy. And, and now he's, he's – he's, at that time, you know, he was a young athlete growing into what he is right now. And now you see in that fight, I just watched him grow up right before my eyes, watched him grow confidence in his game and believe, you know, he is good enough to be in there with these guys. You know, he, he's, he, he doesn't need to be in the back of the line. He doesn't need to be these guys training partners anymore. No, he's better than these guys. He can beat these guys. And um, it was good to see him start to believe in himself. And, you know, with the guys that he trained alongside with Habib and, you know, all the other, you know, Kamara Usman and all the other great opportunities he get to train with, now you're starting to see that he believes in himself and now he's starting to mimic the level of skill that he's trained around. Absolutely. I mean, I thought I, I saw the guts, the the cardio, the – uh, the ability to change his attack and alter it up and figure out a way to get that fight. I've, again, it's disputed. I have no problem if someone thought Barbosa had done enough. I just credited uh, Ige's work ethic. The larger conversation for Barbosa is, though, Rashad, at 34, this is now his unfortunate you know, fifth loss in six fights, uh, is this a good move for him? Now, now, personally, from what I saw, 
I mean, that's a hor- that looked like a horrific cut for a guy who's already in such great shape to go down 10 pounds. Yes, he saw the power early. I just don't think it's worth it to cut from his potential gas tank as he gets older, even though there's a, there's a shorter path to a title in theory at featherweight than that crowded-ass lightweight division. I don't know. I didn't get the feeling like he necessarily belongs. Some people disagree with me. That's fine. What, what, do, what do you think about Barbosa's future coming off of this? Um, I actually thought he looked good in that weight class. I didn't think that he compromised too much of anything. I thought uh, he still looked fast. I thought he looked really strong. I thought he looked big. Um, I just, I just think that w- when it came, uh, like you said, in the end, those same cardio issues that he had, um, you know, I think that he just uh, didn't, or, or just really hard to prepare for what the end of that fight is going to be like, as far as the pace that that Dan Ige was going to push him through. You know, Dan Ige re- really brought it out of him and made him uh, use those legs a lot, and I think it really kicked in that gas tank and cutting that extra ten pounds. You know, that, that had a dramatic effect on those legs. But I would like to see him uh, there again and just more time to get used to being at this weight class because I, I do think that he could be dangerous in his weight class if he gets his body acclimated correctly. Interesting. We'll see. I mean, look, we have the same doubts about Jose Aldo, and I thought he, he really looked good against uh, Marlon Moraes. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But big win for Ige. We also – uh, saw Song Yudong, the featherweight, very close fight with Marlon Chito Vera. And you got to give Vera credit. He kind of did what he always does. Start off a little bit slow, but make the adjustments where you're like, you may have done enough. I mean, this was of the three fights. This wasn't a split decision. It may have had the biggest argument to be one. I didn't have an issue with Song Yudong winning it, but I also was, was, was fearful for him when it went to the cards because this was a good fight. They both pressed the pace and it was about as even as it comes. It really was. I thought that Cheeto um, re- really did a good job in there utilizing some of his, uh, you know, th- th- those clinch positions and things like that. Um, but but Song Yudong, he landed some really clean shots early out and, and it really left an impression in people's minds, you know. Um, but Cheeto showed that uh, he, he's got he's got a lot. He's got a lot to him. I, I was really I was hoping that he was going to use more of, of his uh, Dan Christensen wrestling. Uh, that was my wrestling coach when I when I would uh, train when I when I would do some fights and that's um, your old Ultimate Fighter uh, yeah housemate right in yeah, fact I dear- remember uh, you know when you saw him walk through the door I'm like holy hell no no Daryl Daryl's a smaller guy he's an Olympic oh that's not the guy for that's not the other skyscraper no that's no that's a skyscraper no this this guy's a short short Olympic guy he on the Olympic training team but he trains out in San Diego with those guys and he has like a a, Gre- a greco style that he's adapted for mma and is really slick and it's really sweet and cheeto's one of his students and i was hoping to see some of that technique displayed and he did some of it but there's a there's a whole nother level that cheeto could have hit yeah song yudong in some ways survived this fight but he did land those nice counter right hands i mean it was a good ass fight uh, Miguel Baeza really jumped off the screen here improving he stays unbeaten knocks out matt brown in the second round but he had gotten knocked down himself early in that first round. And, like, this was the perfect level matchmaking. Brown, the, the, the hard-nosed veteran. Yeah. We, love, we love ourselves some of the immortal Matt Brown. Uh, but coming in on a two-fight win streak against the unbeaten, unheralded guy, does he have it? Man, Baeza showed you something in that one. 
Man, I, I, was, I was so impressed. I was really so impressed. I mean, just to make it through what he made it through, uh, that adversity against a guy like Matt Brown, who who's straight killer. You know, you, not many people can say they survived a, a Matt Brown attack, and uh, he survived it. And then to come back with his own finish, and as if like, all right, you caught me slipping, but this is what I really got. And, and it showed that he's, he's going to be a force in his weight class for sure. Uh, what do you think about this guy, Kevin Holland, the middleweight, who destroyed Anthony Hernandez in less than one round? I wasn't too woke to his backstory outside of knowing his name. I know he had some up and downs in the UFC, but this was like uh, know me now type of type of performance. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I was really surprised with that, and especially since I have such a uh, I thought Hernandez was going to be that guy, and it's just it, it's because I see so much potential in him, but. Uh, you know, he still has to, uh, you know, still has to go through that. But um, I, I was, I was impressed, man. That was, that was, just, it showed that these guys, you know, there's so much, in, there's so much talent in the UFC that we don't even know about that's just coming and keep on coming. It's, just, it's amazing. Yeah, that, I, I give them credit for that contender series because it's, it's, it's just thrown people at us. Yes. You know, arriving in like parachutes and you're like, oh, that guy's a badass. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd he come from? forces you to be a badass you don't get dana's attention you can win as we know in that series and not get the contract you have to be i mean and here's like dana knows what he's doing he's grooming fighters to not fight for the decision he's grooming the anti-john mentality yeah Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting um shout out to giga chikadze and erwin rivera who fought a nice little featherweight war but uh the name who seemed to dominate the the tweets in the undercard here was this fella, Nate, the train land weir. Uh, he's a featherweight. He went in there against Darren, the damage Elkins, who for the love of God, we love ourselves some Darren Elkins, but that guy will run face first into a car and just, just take it as the, as his blood and guts are literally falling out of his body. I don't have a problem with that because that's, that's who Elkins is, right? He's yeah. Remember that the old idealism takes three to give one. He takes yeah. about thirty-four to give one. But I have a problem with Nate Landwehr acting like he's suddenly Roy Jones because he can light up Darren Elkins. Rashad, he's putting his arms behind his back. He's trash talking. Oh, he's no. yelling Dana's name at the top of his lungs. And it just so happened. And I wish I had the sound ready that he had that Southern Hick voice. And you know, but that's. That's too far. Like, this ain't young Conor McGregor, you know, knocking out Diego Brandau and trying to get Dana's attention and saying, pay me. This seemed like some hick from French Lick that just rolled in here. And just because you're, you bloodied up Darren Elkins, bro, you almost gassed out from celebrating too much. Get that guy off my screen, Rashad. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, man. I feel you. And, and that's the thing about it. Like, he took his moment and he's like, you know what? I'm going to shine. I'm going to act a fool out here. I want to get the attention. But I don't, I don't think it worked out for him. I don't think it looked as, as good as or as cool as he hoped it would be, man. I, uh, yeah, the I blame. You know what it was reminiscent of? Remember when Mike Jackson beat up CM Punk and yeah. was like taunting him and trash talking? Uh, yes, that's exactly. Pay, what it was like. pay me, like yeah, dude, it was. Dana it was, was like, was "You're terrible. never fighting in this place again." Yeah, it was. Know? It was terrible. It was terrible, and especially yeah, it was bad move. Bad move. Bad, bad stuff altogether. Uh, also, shout out to Courtney Casey who shared the performance of the night bonus along with Miguel Baeza. She had a nice looking armbar submission in the first round against Mara Romero Barella. You see, Barella had the body tats going up and down. She, you know, visits the uh, tattoo parlor very often. <laughs> in there. Uh, oh, shout out. Oh, hey, what? I didn't. I, sorry, it was accident. Just kind of, kind of shut off there for a second. Uh, my bad on that one completely. Um, you know what happens in a podcast at any point, Rashad, you know? Sorry, shot us low. 
And now he's getting there down the stretch. Do what we do best. When did you think this fight was starting to turn when he had shot his load? And you- okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, Rashad, we got a lot of headlines this week. Um, let's talk first about the UFC schedule. We know we are off this weekend. Uh, we're going to be right back the weekend after, and you have to believe, again, it's going to be every weekend for the rest of the year to get back on schedule. But this fight night card, May 30th, uh, right now doesn't have a home. We think it's former welterweight champion Tyron Woodley against Gilbert Burns in the main event, which would be a banger. Need to see that. I mean, legitimately very good fight. Dana said late Saturday, that hey, we had a good time in Florida, but we're out. Okay, we're we're done. We're done. We you know, thank you, City of Jacksonville. We all know they want to go to the UFC Apex, like we talked at the top of the show. But they, he says, we will go to Arizona if that's what we have to do. Um, again, doesn't this tell Nevada? Like, no, UFC is a homegrown organization. They are Las Vegas. Right. Do your fights here. Don't do it over there. Don't don't load up the eighteen wheelers and go to Arizona. Like, come on. Change the damn laws already. Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, like I, like I was saying at the top of the show, it just absolutely makes no sense. I mean, if you, and especially if it's you know Gilbert Burns and Tyron Woodley, because that one is going to be a great fight. But but more but more importantly, the more that that they they disconnect themselves from the the headlines of what the UFC is doing, you know, the, the more that they just they they don't they don't they don't benefit from anything off the headlines. You know, it's just kind of, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. But it's good to know we at least have a, a home, meaning Arizona that's close by to Vegas. UFC is ready, willing, and able to put on that fight night card. We'll see that. Obviously, the week after, June 6th, is UFC 250. Um, from what we know now, it's looking like Amanda Nunes, Felicia Spencer. It's also looking like that card would be in the U.S., given those who are on it and, and their you know locations. Um, do we know anything else about that card? What, what, what could be the potential big name co-main event? I think I've only really heard Amanda at this point. Nah, that's all I heard too is Amanda. I haven't heard really too many anybody else. Um, so this is going to be interesting because uh, Dana's saying that Fight Island is, is going to be ready by mid-June and hopes to have it operational by late June. So, uh, you know, he's, he even went as far a couple of days ago in saying when Habib fights Justin Gaethje, which we know can't really happen until August, based right. on what we both said. And, of course, um, Habib's still observing Ramadan through May 23rd. Uh, Dana wants to put that on Fight Island. That would be a – he said it wouldn't be the first card, but that would be a hell of a, an event that I think would draw the pay-per-view buys, even separate from it being Habib and Justin Gaethje. When they do that in August on Fight Island, People are going to care. People are going to really care. I mean, I think I think if you're going to announce something like Fight Island, I mean, you're going to have an event, a first event at something called Fight Island. You have to have it start off with a blockbuster like Justin Gaethje and Habib, right? Absolutely. Uh, I'm just I'm just fired up that we that we're back and uh, it feels good. It feels good, man. Um, you know, it's funny. I was walking the dogs with my wife this morning and. Uh, I was trying to debate, like, you know, what is the new normal going to be in our right. Like, I mean, certainly before we can fill arenas again, which could end up being a year for all we know, maybe even more, you never really know. Um, what elements of our life do you think are going to change the most that may never, like, I mean, like as things stand now, I, I could not see myself getting on a train or a subway. I could not see myself uh, going to a concert or going to a, a theme park again. I mean, do you see any other areas in your life where you're like, this will change maybe for the good from this situation? Oh man, I can't think of a lot offhand that I think can change for the good. 
Um, I think maybe just people being more conscientious of, of just, um, you know, being health, I, I guess being more, um, you know, clean. Yeah. But I think outside of that, I, I think it, it's going to be kind of weird because, you know, a big part of who we are as humans is, is interacting with each other. And um, when we can't interact with each other, it kind of, it kind of hurts humanity a bit, you know? Maybe it'll force us to keep our circles tighter, Rashad. Yeah, maybe. Get everybody checked out. Swab everyone in the nose. Scrape the brain as they walk in the front door. Um, either way, I know I, I'll probably have to end up taking that test at some point to do something, right? Whether it be cover a big card or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do everything in my power never to take that test, Rashad. That's not, that's not a, an ignorant response to uh, the, the legit fear of COVID. I'm just not ready to have something stuck deep down my <laughs> into Into your brain, right? Yeah, Where does that stick go? On video, Dana posted it. He was like, third time in eight days here we go and i'm just like nah not not me not me bro it's like this long yeah, like whoa we're where good does that go from my house it's fine what's well, fine <laughs> all right let's look at the headlines in the sport i think the biggest headline right now is the fact that this potential francis Ngannou john jones heavyweight bout went from here's the timeline Little trash talk back and forth. John Jones on Twitter criticizing OSP's performance as a heavyweight, making reference to if I was in there against Francis or a big hitter, Francis responded. They go back and forth. But late Saturday, Dana White in the post-fight press conference in Jacksonville was like, in response to being asked about it, said, look, you know, I don't think either of these guys really even want that fight. People talk on Twitter. Well, then Abe Kawa, John's co-manager, tweets out, oh, no, we want that fight. Then John on Monday tweets out, send the deal, you know, uh, Rashad, does he really want that smoke? Is this really a thing? Could this really happen? This is like on the short list of the best possible fights to make. I know. I, listen, if John Jones really does this, it, it would be, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. It'd be the challenge that the fans we're looking to see from John Jones. I mean, you know, and it sounds crazy to say, you know, and, and it sounds very dismissive of what, of what he's already currently done. And um, that's really weird to say, but at the same time, it, it's nevertheless the situation. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. You know, people feel that way. And I feel like, um, you know, this would be something that, that would get a lot of people to, uh, to really, to look at him in a different light, you know, but um about the matchup, it'd be it'd be an interesting matchup to to see this fight happen because Francis, you, you can't take too many shots from him at all, it, oh. not one at all. You know, no, no, so no, no, it, no. you know, you know. Look, there's a debate to be had, and I'm ready to have it with you right now about <laughs> how John would deal in general with heavyweights, with the harder punching and the slower, mm. you know, combat. But Alistair, I'm sorry, uh, Francis Ngannou doesn't fit that question because Francis Ngannou has freak like explosion has alternate angles that just sort of come out of nowhere. I mean, he's got a lot of different stuff there, but part of John's assault on Twitter over the past two days of seemingly saying he's ready for this. He's posted videos where he's back to powerlifting again. And he said he's 240 and ripped. He also made multiple references of how much would you pay for this? Uh, you know, pay me to make it worth it. And he's here's where I think he's right, Rashad, because there's levels to the UFC pay system. And we've talked at length about, you know, in some ways, there's the have and have nots. There's the title level, championship level guys who get paid so well that they're no longer going to help the people below them who are struggling and climbing because they're like, I made it. But then, even within that realm, there's levels to this, right? There's Conor right. McGregor's super yeah. levels, and there's 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 you know there's a hierarchy in there. 
I'm not mm-hmm. against John Jones, who has put himself on the line against dangerous competition over and over and consistently seemed to make, right? You know, two, three, four million with bonuses probably, you know, maybe for his biggest paydays made more, saying, I want what is, you know, Connor type money. And if I'm going to take this challenge for you, pay me. Yes, they should pay him. He sh- in my mind, Rashad, and, I, and again, I don't have access to the UFC's books, but I come from a sport in boxing where when you get to this level, the Mayweather-Pacquiao level, I'm not saying pay him $100 million, right? But Mayweather and Pacquiao had that run over the last decade where it didn't matter who they were fighting, they were getting $20 million as a minimum, right. right? Because that's the draw. Now, I know UFC puts on deeper cards, but I also know UFC pays their fighters a such lower percentage that if I'm John Jones, I'm saying, yes, pay me 15 to 20 million if you want to see me in there with Nganu. It's time that I get the crossover superstar money. Is that, is he, that crazy? No, and listen, I, I agree. He should get that money. He should get that money. But let's, let's make no mistake about it. Connor's not getting that money uh, for, for no reason. He's getting that money because he's, he's bringing that attention, you know? And, and, that, and that's just fair as, it, fair as I can say it. You know, he's, he's bringing whole countries over to America, spending a massive amount of money. And, and, you know, that's just the people who came over here. So he, he has the ability to make people open up their wallets. True. John Jones does not have that same ability. Now, could this fight potentially uh, garner that kind of attention, garner that kind of, uh, you know, speak, uh, I guess, um, hype around it where, where people would pay to see it? Yeah, it could, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's something that the UFC is gonna gonna lead with first. I'm like, all right, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you this money and just see if you can, you know, make it make it be what what you think it can be. I I, I like the fight. I just don't believe that John Jones is one hundred percent sincere about really doing. It. I think he's doing those things where he's he he's gauging. You know, he's gauging. In the past, he has made comments about w- being willing to fight Stipe next and big announcement coming, send me the money, and not gone through with it. So you could be right. John has played. John knows how. John knows his standing. John knows how to play social media. He knows what he's doing, indeed, when it comes to that. Not everything John knows what he's doing. No more dictators. <laughs> please, but, uh, but he does. But I think, look, this goes back to the debates you know, I've had for the past couple of years that like, there's really not much more to gain. Right. Legacy-wise or even financially by staying in light heavyweight. In fact, what, what we've seen over the last year is John may end up gaining a loss, right? Because this group of guys of Dom Reyes, Mahetta, you know, all these guys, they're, they're, they're dangerous enough but don't seem to bring a ton of, uh, you know, um, high-end value where it, it's kind of a high-risk, low-reward proposition. He's already cleaned out the division twice. We know his true potential is to win a heavyweight championship, retire as, as the GOAT. He's the GOAT now, but, but it's, it's, it's an argument. There will not be an argument if he goes up and wins the heavyweight championship and retires as the, as the GOAT, right? It'll be the. So he'll get more money. Every mm-hmm. heavyweight fight for him will, be, will have that extra intrigue of danger, just like any time we saw great boxers you know, welterweights move up in weight and, and go up to middleweight, you know, just any, it's the same type of thing. There's intrigue in there. Right. And here's the other reason why I think you should said it before Rashad, say it once more. John Jones beats every single heavyweight, including Francis Ngannou. I'm sorry. He does. Even though the light heavyweights are closing the gap on him, due to maybe speed and youth and athleticism, even though John's IQ, defense, and chin remain top shelf. 
I feel the advantage he will have compared to heavyweights in those departments will basically make him Floyd Mayweather out there in terms of he'll have to be a smart boxer. No, you can't take flush shots from Nganu. Nobody can, okay? Maybe Stipe took that one and he barely hung on. No one's taking those shots, all right? I don't think John's going to get hit is my point. I think he is too sophisticated as a kickboxer and, and, and as a striker. I think he's going to be able to 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 – He's got to show technique. It's not going to be knockouts for, per se, although he can certainly catch people running into a head kick. But, Rashad, I feel like he's going to paint these guys. I mean, he, he very well could. He definitely has the technique and, um, you know, in, in, this, in the skill and, and just knowledge. You know, he's one of the fighters, smartest fighters I ever fought, so he definitely has that ability to do all those things. And I think at the light heavyweight division, you know, he has cleaned up the division twice, and now he's kind of looking at a situation like uh, Mighty Mouse, you know, it, it was. And Mighty Mouse is, you know, in my opinion, one of the best to ever do it. But he would never be recognized for what he was and what he was able to do just because no one really respected, you know, no, no one really cared too much about the weight class. And I think John Jones is in that position right now with this 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 group of light heavyweights, you know, not saying they're, they're terrible fighters, but at the same time, just the, the care is gone for the division. You know, it's just not that, that blockbuster division anymore. So, I think in order to to be um, to get that attention, he, he he may he may need to go up to heavyweight, and I think it's the best thing for him to do. And, and I think here's the thing with John, though, if it and and this is the psychology part of it. This is the psychology part of it. Does he have enough confidence to compete with guys who's bigger than him? And that's and that's the thing about it. And I say that because that's a fair point. We've never seen that, right? Yeah, and and and, that's, and and the fair point is this right here: when when someone when someone uses um, something like a, a steroid or something like that, is because they don't want to feel like they're smaller than the other person. So it's a psychological thing. You know what I'm saying? So psychologically speaking, can he put himself in a position where he knows he's going into the octagon and he's a smaller fighter? That is very interesting. He will have to dig deep to do this. Um, and I'm not, again, underscoring at all what Ngannou brings to the table, which is the ability to knock any human out at any point uh, with, with what he brings. But, uh, yeah, if he's going to do this, then this is one of those rare times that I say put the interim title at stake because, you know, Stipe needs time to train. I think DC deserves that trilogy. I think that's the fight to make so you can allow DC a chance to close his career on his own terms. If he loses, he retires. If he wins... Oh, good God, Rashad. Then we could be talking about DC John 3 and heavyweight. Oh, my Satan, God. I mean, I mean, I mean we, uh, let's, let's slow the train on that one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, please, put an interim title. Give John the $20 million or $15 million, whatever it takes. Give it to him. Let's do this fight. Um, I think Nganu has shown you enough over the past four fights that you run that highlight reel. If no one's ever heard of him, they will. And then you run that story on ESPN, which is – an incredible story of moving to France from Africa and sleeping in his car and, you know, having gone through the UFC propped him up only for him to lose badly and sort of, you know, yeah. get humbled. I mean, he's got a great story. A great story. A physical freak of nature. Is he the scariest human? Like if we took every MMA he, fighter ever and had to take their shirts off and have the average Joe stand up in front of him, he's got to be the scariest human to ever enter that. that day. He is the scariest, but honestly, he's probably one of the nicest one of the best people that that I that I've met in the game. Just cause he's he's like um, he's he's got a very soft nature about himself. You know what I'm saying? And that's and and it's something you don't even expect. You know, and, he, and he's unexpectedly funny too. So it, it's uh, Fran, Francis is a good guy, man, a real good guy. 
Uh, final thought on this John Jones thing. He doesn't really wrestle anymore in general, right? right. It takes up a lot of energy. He's, he's figured out a defensive boxing style, and, and if you let him walk you down, he'll walk you down and get you out of there. Um, would he need to, and could he wrestle at a very high level against heavyweights if he came in absolutely jacked and ripped at 240? Yeah, he, he definitely can. I think John Jones, you know, that's a tool in, in his toolbox, but at the same time, I don't think he's going to be taking shots and shooting underneath heavyweights. I think he'll utilize um, his clinch game a little with his trips and stuff that he does a real, that he's really good at. You know, John is John has a whole trip game inside trip game and, and Greco game that he rarely ever uses. And I think he would be able to utilize that on some of these heavyweights and throw them off balance. Just look at that gap. Once DC came back to heavyweight and you saw the hand speed, you saw that, you know, he's dealing when, when DC's fighting a light heavyweight, he's dealing with, with speed. I mean, he's dealing right. with explosion at heavyweight that I feel like that's the biggest gap between weight classes to it, to a large degree where, where it slows down a little bit. It does the hand speed and, and just, um, just that fatigue, that fatigue bar is a huge one thing too. You know, the energy level, if you figure out how to, uh, maximize how to use your energy, then you can just use off of just, you know, being able to allocate your energy at the right amount of time. And, and, and a lot of heavyweights, they, they, they go into energy deprivation because they mess up this, this unique balance. I hope we do it. I hope we see that. Um, the other thing related to John Jones was Chael Sonnen, who, I mean, we love, we love ourselves some Chael Sonnen. First <laughs> Never piss off a gangster. Uh, he came at John on like a, 15 he always comes at John. It's <laughs> like, I'm calling for you. And then John's say? responding with uh, gifts of, of son and getting, you know, tapped out and beat up. What's Chill's angle here? Is it just like, watch my clips? Is that all it is? I don't know. You know, Chill Ch- Ch- does not like John. And he just, he always, no matter what, finds something to say about John. You know, he's he's got a bunch of, a uh, bunch of ad hominem names for him, and he just goes at him every single chance that he gets. I mean, I'm looking up and down these tweets, and it's like, uh, uh, I mean, he's talking about jail. He's talking about everyone knows you beat this latest case by ratting out, which is re- reference to uh, what Jail believes John did with USADA, ratted wow. other out to get his, his thing shortened. Uh, he says, if you ever drove sober, the networks would cover it live with helicopters. I mean, look, they're, they're low blows. but Wow, uh, he's going at him like that. Oh, oh, yeah! You have permanent handcuff creases in your wrists. Uh, yeah, um, it's interesting. Some of it wow. is more funny, but some of it is uh, is it's 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 hard hitting. But uh, that is Chael. We have to remember every time he posts one of those videos of him breaking something down, he's getting paid ad money. So maybe it's yeah. all related to that. Chael is a uh, is a smart gangster, indeed. Um, up and down the MMA uh, news is um, unfortunately, you know, we we continue to. Uh, pray for Habib Nurmagomedov's father, who is in critical condition and is in a coma. And now the family is going public, Rashad, and saying it's because of COVID nineteen symptoms. So that is uh, that ain't good, you know. Mm. Ab- Abdul uh, Abdul Manap is the correct name. He underwent heart surgery due to the complications from a previous ailment. He also has the coronavirus. So uh, we wish that family well in a hopeful recovery on that regard. Um, Conor McGregor has been active on tweets lately, Rashad. Not much new to report, but uh, Justin Gaethje did come out and say that uh, he feels the fighters are kind of over Conor, that um, like that they've almost gone past him. Meaning, like, hey, Conor, you had your chance. 
before I beat Tony, but you want nothing to do with me. And now you're tweeting out that you think you're going to slide and fight me. And Justin basically said, I could fight Connor next if I wanted to. I could tell the UFC I wanted them next and they would do that. But no, get in line, basically. I, I like that stance. Yeah, I mean, listen, fighters are tired of of jumping through the hoops of whatever Conor wants just because they can align them, themselves with, with a good paycheck. You know, I think now that fighters are like, look, you know, at some point I'm going to get that belt and, I've, and, and, and at that point I'll get the money that I deserve. Um, but I'm not going to jump through these hoops that this guy wants me to jump through because when it was time to fight, he didn't want to fight. But now he wants to have his hand raised because now he's seen that I went in there and did something that he was afraid to do. You know, and that and that's what and and that's and that's where Justin's coming from. He's like, you know, th- this guy, he wants to, to, to act as if like he really wants this. But when it was time for him to, to sign for it, he didn't want none of, no part of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, we're still debating about what could be what should be next for Connor. Um, he did make a couple tweets when Showtime last Friday re-aired the Mayweather-McGregor boxing match, and, and you know, there's a lot of traffic with that on social media and clips being put out. Connor responded with, uh, you know, sort of like revisionist history about how many rounds he had won and how good he looked and all that, but did say, I'm going to do a lot better the second time. I mean, is there smoke and fire to that? And look, I, look, I don't doubt that Floyd would and might come back again. And if he did in boxing, he's only going to fight somebody like a McGregor where he would have a distinct advantage. But um, would UFC, what power do you think they have? Would, you, would Dana, he certainly wouldn't want McGregor to go into a boxing match later this year, right? Even though, even though the UFC may be able to make money off of that, Connor just blew out Cowboy. You want him right back in the mix, you know, whether it's fighting an Nate Diaz or looking to fight the winner of Habib Justin. Um, do you think Dana has the sway? How do, how do things really work? Could he keep Connor out of this if this was something Connor wanted to do? Is that even a smart idea to change disciplines once again, Rashad? Well, I, I think he can definitely keep Connor out of it, but I think if he was going to allow it to happen, he would definitely have a part in it. You know, they have that, that Zufa boxing that they've been trying to launch off the ground or, you know, talk about they were going to do. And they also spoke about Mayweather being a part of it. So maybe, maybe a second fight could be something that Connor does in the meantime until the Habib and, and, and Justin Gaethje fight get underway, you know, with everything that Habib has going on, it doesn't look like he may be able to fight until, you know, the fall, you know, just to kind of digest everything emotionally speaking and, and just, you know, everything else. Uh, so, it might be something that makes sense for them to do if you want to make it so that you increase the value of Conor McGregor, but then you don't hurt his value by having him lose against somebody else who's not the champion. I just don't think they could do a fight that big without the live gate, right? I mean, that's such a large percentage of it. Well, it's think about it. It's a large gate, but now imagine that large gate being at home. And having to pay for that pay per view, and now you're and now you're getting the numbers on pay per view that you used to get way back in the day, you know. And, and then now, I think that equation balances out better than the live gate. What the first fight do? Four point four or four point six million pay per view buys. The second fight, the, the the absolute basement is two million buys. Like obviously, you know, I mean, it could do. Right. And if it's well promoted, and I mean, it could be anywhere. It could be three million, four. It could be anything in that. Uh, I mean, it, it'd, be, it'd be a worldwide event once again. And now the fact that the world has become even smaller now with this whole COVID-19 situation, you know, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be huge. You say something else, I'll whoop your ass in the octagon.
Uh, rewatching that fight, Mayweather McGregor, you know, three years removed, um, I'm still in that same debate mode where I can't figure out how much Floyd carried Connor. Meaning, right. Connor won the first <laughs> three and a half rounds pretty clearly, but wasn't hurting him. And, you know, Floyd certainly wanted to see Connor what he had, wanted to allow him to gas out a bit. And then once Floyd started walking forward behind his high guard, he knew he had skill advantages up the kazoo and he tired Connor out. Well, you know what happened. He finished him. How much of that was like, let me allow you to get to the late rounds, you know, to do that? I still don't know. And I still don't know how that would affect a rematch, except for the fact that Floyd's a little older. I would have to think Connor would be better than he was the first fight. Yeah, I think Connor would be better, but let's make no mistakes about it. You know, Floyd is is head and shoulders above Mayweather on, I mean, uh, above Connor on his worst day. So I do think he did carry carry him considerable. Um, but but I, I also believe that that Connor did do some things that made him have to legit, you know, have to, you know, what I'm saying, uh, to to respect. But like, Mayweather's no dummy. He had to see what Connor had in the first. Yeah, moment. yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. Um, the, I guess the real question on the idea of the carrying is, had Floyd decided the first fight, and if he wanted to decide that if there was a second fight, could he have walked in there and finished him within three rounds if he wanted to exchange right off the start? I think he could have, but that goes against everything Floyd Mayweather is. You know what I'm saying? Floyd, May- Floyd May- Mayweather didn't get 50 and 0 by taking chances, and that's just the truth of the matter. So there's no way, no matter how bad he thought he had advantage, over McGregor, he's going to walk in there and, and do the best three rounds of boxing like we see in Hagler versus Hearns. No way. It's like it's part of me is like, you know, why would he go back? To, why would Connor go back to that except for the money when he's really in a position to fight the winner of Habib and Justin? But, but whenever that may be, whenever that may be, that position, you know? why take the gamble on fighting somebody else? It's interesting. It's going to be very interesting how they pull this off. Obviously, the empty arenas play into the decision making for sure. Um, UFC Hall of Fame announced its pioneer era representative. We've already seen George St. Pierre getting in. We've already seen the John Jones, Alexander Gustafson first fight. This time it's the late Kevin Randleman, the fifth UFC heavyweight champion in history. Rashad, we remember, uh, the, the wrestling ability, the explosiveness, the blonde dyed hair, which you have to remember that was a big part of allowing him to stand out early on. You're like, Oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. What is your memory of the great Kevin Randleman? Oh my goodness. You know, Kevin Randleman was one of those athletes, one of those black athletes who really made me believe that I can do it. You know, back in the day, uh, it, it was dominated and there was, there, there was no black people really in the sport. And you've seen Kevin Randleman come on the scene. He comes in there with his blonde hair. And as a black kid, I'm like, yes, this is this. Okay. We can do this too. So it was huge for me. It was, it was huge for me. And uh, when I got a chance to meet Kevin Randleman, it was, it was just, it, it was bigger than life for me because, you know, he was a fan of me. And I'm like, dude, I've been watching you since you slammed, you know, Fedor on his awesome. head and all those things. And he and, dropped um, Fedor on his head. Oh, my God. Head. I mean, like, come on. He, uh, he, he, he should have paralyzed Fedor with that yeah. spike on his head, man. But Kevin Randleman was a man. And uh, it's really unfortunate that he's not with us anymore, but his legacy is uh is definitely with us yeah incredible personality died in 2016 at age 44 he was hospitalized for pneumonia uh there were reports that he died of heart complications but i have seen his wife uh, has re- his his widow has reached out to media and said like that was an erroneous report um it wasn't necessarily that um you know either way uh 
maybe his biggest moment of his career was was knocking out Fedor. I'm sorry, knocking out um Prokop. Prokop, that was amazing. That was a yeah. big win. That was an upset win. He did win the UFC heavyweight championship in 1999 by defeating Pete Williams. How about that name? At UFC 23 in Japan, defended it once, lost it to Randy Couture the next year, and a two-time All-American national champion at Ohio State. The credentials were real. That was back when wrestling dominated the sport. Yeah. Them wrestlers, right, with the boots on? I mean, thank you. <laughs> Indeed. Um, speaking of uh, that, uh, Vitor Belfort, I w- watched an interview with him um, on Bloody Elbow the other day. You know, he's going to make that comeback in uh, one championship coming up soon against uh, a kickboxer that I haven't heard of who's like 5-4 and four in MMA. But uh, he's saying it's going to be some kind of mixed rules thing where you can wear shoes and it's like, boxing and kickboxing mixed together and he's hoping more old guy fights go that route i don't know this is the guy that has been propo- propositioning for uh you know a legends league for some time right you've been i mean i talked to vitor I, I haven't talked to him in a while but we talked quite a bit um i gotta ask him about that because it, it, i haven't you know i haven't heard that he's that he's gonna uh do all these rules it'd be interesting to see though i think i think that'd be really interesting to see yeah, uh, it did get confirmed, by the way. Ariel Hawani of ESPN reports that the May 30th UFC Fight Night card will be Gilbert Burns and Tyron Woodley in the main event. Rashad, what I love about that is Woodley at 38 certainly has a lot to prove. Long layoff, got one-sided demolition against Kamaru. Um, yet he may be like one win away from a title, another title opportunity with a win. I mean, he beats a rising Gilbert Burns. Tyron Woodley's a perfect opponent right there for Kamaru or whoever has the title. Yet Gilbert Burns, if he wins this, he he put the, he put the rocket strap on him. Yeah, Gilbert Burns has been really chopping at the bit uh, for this fight too. You know, he's been trying to uh, get it for a while. Um, you know, <laughs> with tweets, with IG posts, anything he can to kind of poke the bear that is uh, Tyron Woodley. And uh, Tyron hasn't said too much, and then you know he just he he finally accepted the fight. But I, I think that um, you know this is a different Tyron. You know, Tyron. Tyron is uh, kind of turned the situation that happened to him with losing a fight and everything that he's gone through in the last few years. And, and he's kind of got a chip on the shoulder, a huge chip on the shoulder. And, and it kind of, you, you can't see anything from Tyron Willie without seeing it spew out. You know, he just kind of enraged right now. And uh, he's going against a very tough Gilbert Burns, who's believing in himself at another level and training alongside the now champ. So he's dealing with a different kind of confidence going into this fight as well, because he's training alongside the man who demoralized Tyron Willie in the beginning. So this is going to be an interesting matchup, but I think Tyron's going to have to do uh, a job of just mentally clearing um, himself out and not going into this fight with such a, um, a, a menacing attitude, because I think that could do him some harm. Will age be a factor? Are we going to see him, you know, get old overnight and slow down? You know, making a ton of damage. He he has, but Ty, Tyron is very smart about the way he trains and um, he takes care of his body. So I, I think I think when it comes time, I think his body is going to be pretty good. But it's going to be interesting to see, um, mentally speaking, how is he after you know being in a fight like like he was with, with Kamaru. You know, what I'm saying it's hard. It's because when you when you get the bait, the brakes beat off you like that, it, it, it takes a while to kind of uh, mentally get through that because 
you may be out there, you may have a flashback of, you know, that ass whooping that happened. And th that's real. That's real stuff. And um, those are all things that, that, that make you perform not to your best ability. Interesting. Uh, also in the news, Henry Cejudo, fresh off that quote unquote retirement, now manager to the stars, Ali Abdelaziz tells TMZ, I don't think he's going to retire after all. He's already talking to me. Who should I fight next? And he said, quote, I believe Henry Cejudo will return to the octagon this summer. That's an interesting turn of events here, Rashad. <laughs> Was there ever any doubt? <laughs> Listen, Henry Cejudo, man, he, he's, he, he's in, his, in, in his element right now. You know, he's, he, he's flourishing right now as far as um, I'm coming into his own as a person, you know. And I think, you know, with the whole, you know, Triple C and all that, he's kind of he, – he's this – this persona is, is, is growing and growing and uh, he's, he's playing, he's been, he's having fun playing his character. If Alexander Volkanovsky defeats Max Holloway a second time, would the UFC in your eyes allow Henry to become the first man to have a chance at being a three division champion? Is that some kind of, I mean, obviously it's like hallowed ground, but it's not like, no, we need to save Connor for that. I mean, do you think Cejudo would get that? They would give him that chance. No, they wouldn't. And they wouldn't do it. I mean, I'm going to tell you why. Because he's already made it about money for them. They would never give him an opportunity to make it even more about more money for them. Yeah, well, that's why they've been successful. It's for better or worse. Uh, also in the news, I don't know if you saw this, but the referee, Jason Herzog, who officiated the um, Anthony Smith bout against Glover Teixeira, in which he took a heavy beating, he came out and, and, and he basically took responsibility. He was like, it's on me. I'm the referee. I should have looked out for Anthony Smith more. Um, you don't have to blame anybody else but me. So I thought that was a stand-up move. I don't know if he's right. seems like you can throw a lot of blame at Anthony Smith's corner, which we talked about. But Anthony Smith responded by saying, quote, that's a coward move of the referee for addressing the whole thing. What? 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 I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't follow that, that sentiment. But I think, I think um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to take what he might be saying in that whole thing. But, you know, I think maybe he's trying to say that the referee shouldn't take blame for that. And, and, it, was, and it was on me to make that choice or my coach to make that choice. But I, I, I agree. I don't think, I think the referee did his job that night. I don't think that he allowed, I think he, he allowed the fight to go on based upon what Anthony was showing him. And Anthony was still showing him that he was still able to fight and that he, he wanted to fight. That's what it, that's what it appeared to be. Um, it, it, it took a quote. Here's the full quote here. He, it was on Twitter. It was Anthony responding to, to some fans talking about it. He said, coward move on his part, in my opinion. I make it a point before fights to know the commands and what he, meaning referee Jason Herzog, expects out of each one before every fight. I did everything he asked and responded correctly per the pre-fight meeting. Don't wilt under a little heat afterwards because Twitter is mean. The world is soft. Man up. Oh, okay. okay, I get it. I get it now. I, I get the context on what he's saying now. So what he's saying is this right here. Look, you didn't do anything wrong. You were doing your job. It was it was not your fault. Now, don't try to act as if like it was your fault and you did something. Now, don't get under the pressure and be like, I should have watched out. I get it. I get that. All right. All right. I mean, look, I thought, you know, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Too. I do get the premise of what he's saying. Um, 
whatever. It's a tweet. Who cares? Let's roll on. <laughs> uh, uh, that is the show for for this week. Oh, the other thing I want to tell you, Dan Ige uh, wants Korean Zombie. That'd be a hell of a that would, uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm here for that. Indeed. Um, Rashad, we wrapped up The Last Dance, the eight-part, 10-part ESPN Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, we've all been transfixed. Do you have any uh, parting shots on that incredible, uh, what was that, 20 hours of footage we watched there? No, it, it was amazing, man. Um, you know, I'm rewatching it again just so I can, you know, get some nuggets out of it. But just just to watch the mentality of those guys and just watch all the elements that that came into play to make their story what it was is amazing. But the amount of respect for Michael Jordan, just just his mentality, like what man, who wow. So here's the deal. I get that right before it aired, he did some, he did a couple of public interviews on some really high level shows. And he was like, I'm a little nervous. People are going to think I'm an asshole. And you know, you understand it. They're going to tell the story of him punching his teammates in practice and tell the story of him being a tyrant in terms of like getting everybody to raise their level. But I thought it was so perfectly offset with the reasons why and his reasons why was you know after he hit that shot against utah to win the third straight championship the six and eight years phil jackson hugs him and they got the mics close and you can hear what they're saying and feels like that was beautiful and michael just kept saying i had faith i had faith i never stopped believing and to be able to see that full story being told of just how much that bulls team was running on fumes Mm -hmm. just how much michael at 35 was carrying them game to game they were exhausted they just gone through seven games against the Pacers now they go six games against the Jazz and Michael the whole time was like I had faith I believed and I think that helped me understand him and respect him so much more because we've all been whether it be you know your job or or coaches or teammates whatever in sports you've always had those people that are just crazy competitors and it's like they're one-dimensional and it's like all or nothing and if you screw up they're in your face and I'm no doubt that Michael's a, you could see him picking on player. Like he, you know, he could be a bully for sure. Yeah. But it, I think it was always offset by the idea that like, I will not allow negative thinking to come into my space. We all, you know, we have a chance to win every single time we step out there and it's our duty to get as close to that as we can. Like I, I was motivated, but I was ready like at 11 at night to like, all right, where's the, where's the weights? Where's the bench? Let's, right. Let's get back. All right. Let's start this thing up, you know? And if you and if you watch that, and that's why I'm watching it again, is because, you know, just picking up the nuggets in that in that 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 series, you can see the blueprint of success, and, and it comes down to you know the the fundamental things and just perseverance and just belief, you know, a belief in yourself and, and and doing what you believe is right, and that's what you know Michael was was doing, and, and he focused on those things, and everyone else is hanging out, partying, and having fun. He went home and he cleaned his house and he worked on those things to help him get better. Oh, he figured and, out how to party a little bit. I'm a little skeptical of this uh, flu game, quote unquote. Right, right, right. No, yeah, you may, there may have been pizza there. There may have also been eight women, okay? You know what I'm saying? saying like, he's, he's, he's the black Jesus at that point. So he can do <laughs> but uh, I, I think you're right. I think it, it, it makes us all how we apply to our own life and our jobs and our, in our own walk and whatever we're competing in or trying to do. Um, there's certainly a lot you can take from that. And we already know it's 90% mental, everything you do in life. But it, it really reassured to me that like, okay, you have to have talent. You have to have insane work ethic. You have to have all those things. You have to have luck, connections to get somewhere in life. But your core, you got to stand for something. You have to believe no matter what that you're going to get there. And it's like, I mean, this guy's just, there's no room. There's no room for negativity. I, the best, really, the best part of that whole thing was his anger at the team the year he injured his ankle 
Yeah. And he thought they were tanking. That it's yeah. like, that's against everything I believe. And I'm like, that's me right there. That is against everything I believe in. The idea that you would lose for some higher purpose. No, that we would play to win the game. Right. And, you know, he never, he never lost that intensity. He never, he never uh, changed that, that, uh, and that's, you know, we, I mean, we all can't, we all may not have the ability in the end in whatever we do of a Michael Jordan, but I think we can model that Rashad, right? It's, it's, it's the mind, it's the mindset, it's, it's yeah. the mindset, it's the mindset that can be mimicked. And, and that's what it goes back to the black mamba mentality, but it's that mindset that, that you, that you can mimic that can make you a Michael Jordan, whatever you choose to put your mind to. I believe in the show. I believe in Rashad at 40, by the way. I don't know if I want, look, as, you, as your poll worker, I don't know if I want you to get back in the case unless somebody's getting a receipt, all right? So look up and down right. that Wikipedia page. We'll figure out who who's deserving it, all right? Leodo, don't get pretty, Leodo, okay? <laughs> Welcome to the Machida era. Oh, Machida era over, okay? It's over. We shot, we shot 2.0 era. Peace. Just me. Closing the camera right there. All right, uh, follow us at State of Combat on Twitter, at Sugar Rashad Evans on all your Instagram and uh, channels. And uh, posted shirtless pics these days. Got to be careful as a married man. No, not yet, not yet. I got to get, I got to uh, tighten it up a little bit more. Keep those DMs clean, okay? We don't want to know what goes down there. Uh, shout out to our producer, Mikey Mormile. We, of course, will be back next week. Uh, always looking to line up big interviews for you. Get a little weekend off. Enjoy your Memorial Day. Fights will return on the other side. Rashad, you be no, I said this. Yeah, we covered it. Yeah, we covered it. Okay, so I got two words for you people, all right? We out.